Welcome to The Collaborative Coach. In today's episode, Kim and I are going to be interviewing another coach named Yolanda Barker. We wanted to get to know her, hear a little bit about her story, her background, and her take on coaching. Let's jump in. Well, um, yo, <laughs> nice, nice to meet you. Um, I don't know you yet. Alex, I think, has been getting to know you a lot better than I have because you guys work together. We do. I am an instructional coach in the high school here at Shanghai American School at the Kushi campus. Awesome. And how long have you been an instructional coach? I've been in a coaching role of some kind since 2005. I was a reading and math specialist, um, doing some coaching with reading and math. And then I was a tech coach and then shifted into instructional coaching. Awesome. So, wow. yeah. But I think all of those roles are really instructional coaches. I think I agree with you. I think I would, I would agree with you. It's always about best practice at the end of the day and just trying to help people to get there. Um, cool. What did, did, I mean, I assume you're a certified teacher and you've got some background in, in something. Um, what were you doing before? Something, yes. <laughs> um, I have my master's in bilingual multicultural education. I so a master's of arts in teaching. And my first job out of getting my master's, I taught um, at a college in Japan, um, teaching English to uh, Japanese college students. And then moved to the States and taught fifth grade, where I had a mixture of the regular ed kids the kids who were transitioning from the bilingual, I mean, yeah, from the bilingual program into the monolingual program and the EAL kids, which were a mix of various um, language backgrounds. Uh, and then, and then I became the, um, the specialist from there. So yeah, I've taught all over the shop. It sounds familiar. Um, Although most of my experience has been here in Korea, I don't have any of the public school experience that you have. Um, I also spent a lot of time teaching English learners, adult English learners, the second at the post-secondary level. Um, my very, very first job out of college was working in a language institute, um, like a lot of people do here in Asia. Um, moved into K-12, or K-12 secondary teaching, got licensed about... Mm, five years ago and so yeah. it's been that kind of all over the place for me too maybe not quite as much variety as you've had but i think we've got definitely some things in common that we could probably uh talk shop about <laughs> Which yeah is it's fun to have a, a wide variety i have experienced in all of the grade levels and so it's really fun right. uh, they each one of those grade levels has my heart in a different way so yeah. it's really yeah. cool yeah, I think the youngest kids I taught were maybe four. And then the oldest person I taught was probably in their 50s. And yeah, <laughs> so it's been all over. I never thought about that. Let's say the youngest to the oldest. Yeah, I would have no idea the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I would say 50s or 60s, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The gentleman I taught was like a near retirement age and that uh, was back at college and doing. I don't know, some courses or a degree or something at that point in time. Really um, 
enthusiastic fellow. Maybe not the the highest English language ability in the class, but he really had his heart in doing well in his studies, and I appreciated that. Um, yeah, he was a kind soul with interested in, in giving his best. So, yeah, yeah, was... I even taught in a jail. Oh wow! Okay, you win. Now, what was that like? <laughs> I, don't, I didn't think it was a competition, but uh, yeah, that was it. Was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was. I was uh, very young, very new to teaching. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, went in. And yeah, gave that, the old college try. That's something that's interested me. Actually, was I was, I've seen. That those jobs are available and I've always kind of been interested in doing it. Um, I think they would be potentially some really interesting people to work with. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a lot of technical reading, like mm-hmm. people who wanted to like, I want to learn how to be a, an electrician or a mechanic or something like that. So we had to learn how to decipher and read manuals. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. So what was the draw to yeah. coaching for you? Sorry, Alex, I'm, I'm dominating the interview here. It's all good. Go for it. I was actually just going to ask the exact same question. Like, you've had this very uh, wide set of experiences, and then here we are as three coaches. So it seems like lots of different things have all led us to this point. But for you, Yo, what what might have led you here to decide to become a coach? I didn't really know what coaching was when I got into it. So that was back in 2005. Um, there was a, I met um, weekly with the tech coach, um, the gal who was the tech coach for me. And, um, you know, I, I just thought it was so interesting, so amazing what she was doing. I was like, wait, you do what? You go where? You You know, you get to do what? So I, even when I was in grad school and, or, you know, getting, getting my education to be an educator, the whole time I, even though I was working with kids, I still was always, I worked with adults as well. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that combination. And so it seemed very natural for me to take on a role where I was working with both students and adults um, and helping them sort of think about ways to set particular goals and find ways to achieve those goals. But I didn't know that was called coaching at the time. I didn't know anything, you know, took a course with Jim Knight and was like, wow, that would be super cool if we could do stuff like that. But coaching cycles were not at all part of what we were able to do with, you know, I I was split among four camps. I was the only tech person from four elementary schools. There's no way I was going to be able to engage in a that kind of coaching cycle. But I always was in my head, like, this is what I want to do. I want to evolve um, my um, coaching to be able to do something more, what I would call, I guess, sustainable and long-term. And rather than what it felt like I was doing a lot was going in as a tech coach Um and I was called a tech specialist back then, a tech integrator. Um, and I suppose that was a good title. You know, I would go in and help teachers with tools and model teach in their class. And then the next year I would go back and do it again, the same exact thing without any sort of, um, you know, ability to make that sustainable for the teachers to um, take that on and own it. Sure. And so I was, 
always find trying to find ways to to make that happen more to help teachers to um, be the experts themselves. Is that kind of like the goal of coaching? Oh. Sorry, Kim, got a little bit of a lag here on Zoom, but uh, if I could, yo, do you think that's the the goal of coaching? Um, I think my own um, definition of coaching has evolved through the years, but I would say back in the beginning, yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted to sort of phase myself out of a job so that I wasn't the expert who was coming in to say like, here's how you do it. I certainly never was, you know, um, but what I discovered was there's always new technology, new everything, <laughs> new tools, new stuff. And then this thing called right. the iPad came out and that just blew us all out of the water. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, is, is it to make the teachers be the experts? I mean, I would say the experts for their own class, for their own teachers, and knowing that there's always something you can learn and something you can improve on. So I suppose the word expert makes it sound or feel like there's not anything more that one can do. And I don't, that doesn't feel right either. So I don't know. I don't know if I answered that question or answered it succinctly. It's okay. I think it's all right to have something that's kind of in process, maybe not perfectly defined. Like for me, I'm still figuring it out. And I think I share some of that sentiment of wanting to work myself out of a job or or have the teachers feel like they have as much expertise as I do and feel capable and um, full of agency to take things out on their own and to explore and to um, set their own growth path, as it were. I, I've worked with the two of you, and I think we've had the same conversation several times, uh, but just independently. So this is the first time the three of us are going to have this conversation. And I think kind of more or less um, the idea that we've talked about in those conversations was the idea that coaches are kind of trying to build the capacity in teachers. And as you said, talk ourselves out of a job, uh, build the, the capabilities in teachers so that they can eventually do it on their own. And I think... The way that coaches do that is through a wide variety of different tools, like we might co-teach, we might help create materials, we might plan or reflect with teachers, but at the end of the day, we want to see that the teacher is somehow growing and that this, the teacher is somehow able to enhance the student learning experience. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's really all about the kids, isn't it? It's not, I mean, as much as I'm sitting here saying like, oh, the teacher becomes, a, you know growing in their practice but for why and it's like you said you know it's all about the kids so yeah and each year you have a different group of kids and so you might discover that what you did last year didn't work exactly the same way that you had hoped I, I want to come back to what you were talking about earlier um, about your early work as a technology integrationist and feeling like you were going back and I, I'm paraphrasing a bit here, so correct me if I'm not getting this right. Um, going back and teaching the same lesson that you had taught the year before in the same context. Um, why do you think that you had that experience? Was it something to do with just that you were spread so thin across so many different places? Was it something about the depth of the relationship with the teacher? Was it because you were a new coach, some combination of the three, something else entirely. But um, why do you feel like it was just kind of almost a hamster wheel of doing the same thing over and over again? 
I guess I would say my gut reaction to that is there are two main reasons. Um, one main reason, I think, which is, I think, probably the most main reason, but it's not good English, but um, is that the teachers um, often just wanted the kids to have a different voice and a different, like almost like a guest speaker, if you will, you know, like, but yeah, it's always great to mix it up and have somebody new in the classroom, which I agree. I think it's great to have that. And I didn't mind doing that. I, I, it was, it got me in front of kids. It got me building relationships with students, things like that. So I, I liked it and I get it. It's, it's nice to have a, somebody different come in and be in front of the kids as well. I would say the other reason for that was that um, teachers were using like, let's say, oh, we're going to do, I don't know, we're going to use Audacity and we're going to do this particular project. And then they never used that same tool or app again until that same lesson came around the following year. Mm -hmm. And the teachers didn't remember how to use it. And so I was there again, teaching them how to use it. Right. But even when I had done it a couple of times and I knew the teacher knew how to do it, they would still say, yeah, yeah, I do know how to do it. I, I can teach the lesson, but can you come anyway? Cause the kids like you and it's fun to have you in class. And so that's why I say, I think it's those two, two main things. And that the, the first reason I think was foremost that the teachers just enjoyed for the students to have it and another person come in the classroom. Um, and then sometimes they'd be like, I don't remember how to use it. So, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Can I ask a question about that? I think you've touched on something that is often a struggle for me when a teacher reaches out and is kind of leading the conversation, a certain sense of what they need in that moment. Do you, the two of you have any redirection techniques on how you can kind of reframe that conversation of, oh, no, no, I'm the coach. I'm the guide on the side. I'm going to be there to build your agency. Like how, how can you redirect it now that you've had all this experience and uh, what, what experiences of success have you had with redirecting those conversations? Well, I think the thing that, that for me, um, the thing that has changed that is that I'm not doing specific tech coaching anymore. It's more instructional. And so I can sort of guide people to strategies versus a tool. And so I would say, I mean, I, you and I have had this conversation and I think um, what you do in just explaining that that's your role is is awesome. My, my role is a little bit different now. And I don't have teachers doing that as much as I did before because it's a strategy that I'm teaching them or showing to them or highlighting for them or having them practice intentionally that is not for a specific. I mean, it's for a specific thing that they're doing now. But they can, we talk about in our conversation about how it's broad, how it can be used over and over, how it can become routine or something like that. So I don't feel like I have that same sticky situation anymore. When we talk about, you know, coaching is, is a wide variety of things, it kind of seems like individuals and schools define coaching. 
in many different ways. Um, we've kind of talked about building agency with teachers. We've talked about being um, available in the moment for teachers for what they need and kind of being that flexible guide on the side. So what things might you see in a school that is successfully implementing coaching? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have um, the one correct answer, and I don't actually think there is one correct answer to that that question. I would say the campuses have various needs, and so it might look different. For me personally, I feel more successful or more um, satisfied or gratified when uh, teachers are seeking me out because they feel like coaching is helping them to help their students and grow their practice. Um, and uh, it could be even just like a quick coaching conversation, processing, planning meeting, um, or a sort of shorter cycle or full cycle, or even a semester long or year long continuous looping back um, checking in. And, um, but all of those are sort of follow the same standard of having like teacher has a goal and they want to ha have something that's, um, where they grow in because it's going to help their students. And then through talking with coach, they are able to troubleshoot and trial and error maybe or attempts you know some various things to go forward and meet that goal um, and then they're reflecting on that and then continuing to try or try something different and then reflecting on that and then you know so that back and forth um, and whether that's short 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 or long 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 or anywhere in between I think is um and where they feel successful enough to like tell other people and do it again and ask, you know, for, for another, another go round. Yeah. It kind of sounds like what I'm hearing is that it's not dependent upon time, but it's more dependent upon goals and about relationships and about kind of maybe word of mouth that if teachers are feeling successful and good about the coaching process, they'll, they'll match each other's. Yes, and I would say successful would be that it makes the difference in the classroom for the kids. So that I think is the um, the criteria for success is that it's made a difference for student learning. And when you're talking about making a difference for student learning, uh, what are some of those differences that you're typically looking for? Well, that I guess that's part of what's that's um, outlined and defined by the teacher. You know, so if it's, um, you know, more engagement or if it's, uh, you know, higher scores on fill in the blank, you know, it could be a, a particular skill or practice that you want to see. I mean, I think that's what's defined by the teacher. And so, yeah, I, I, there, that could be as various as there are teachers in classrooms. When you were talking earlier about operating as a, a sounding board, one of the things that um, kind of came up for me or that I remembered was um, in computer programming, there's this idea of rubber duck debugging. 
Um, and so what happens is uh, you're, the idea is you have a bug in your code. You're trying to figure out how to solve this issue or how to work through a problem. And the goal, you originally, you know, a rubber duck sitting on your desk and you talk through the code to the rubber duck, explaining what the code does step by step until you figure out, oh, that's why it's not working. And I think I feel that a lot sometimes in my relationship with teachers is being that sounding board or being that little rubber duck on the desk can sometimes just be what people need to kind of get to the point where they have processed the issue in such a way that they can figure out how to solve it on their own. And sometimes not even I don't even have to be there. I could just give them a rubber duck. But, you know, just to have that person to kind of talk to and sound off on things, because I, I know that works for me. Yeah. That's super cool. I like that. I would say uh, there are a couple of differences. And one is that the rubber duck doesn't ask um, good questions. <laughs> and, and the rubber duck doesn't paraphrase to make sure that um, you've articulated yourself well. But but yes, yeah, I would say that's, that's a good um, analogy. I'm, I'm curious to ask another question um, related to the whole rubber duck idea. So in the past, I've had some challenges where I've worked with some educators that are new to coaching. And when I mentioned, oh, I'm a coach, and, you know, I'm going to do some intentional kinds of listening to help you out. Sometimes they get weirded out because to them, it sounds like counseling. And uh, I'm just kind of curious if uh, either of you have run into a similar problem of like, uh, your teachers have misconceptions about coaching and, and how you can set very clear, succinct um, things that are on offer early on when you start working with a team. Or do you have any other techniques that you might use when you're trying to dispel some of those myths of like, uh, you know, I'm not a counselor, I'm not just a rubber duck, I'm going to be doing like some some intentional things that you're in control. How how can you kind of get to that point? How can you set those clear expectations? Jim, you want to go first? I don't know that I do, honestly. Um, I don't think I'm I'm explicit about it, and and I don't I'm not in the intention of being um, deceptive, but just more. Sometimes I wonder if explaining is helpful or just doing is helpful. And with particular teachers, I mean, I I don't want to frustrate anybody, so I don't want them to be coming to me looking for a particular just a quick answer. Because if that's the case and I can read that that's the case, then of course I'm going to just give them the answer. Because um, if that's what they need as a consultant, I'll be that. Um, and at the same time, you know, when teachers come to me with something that's maybe a little more sticky, then I think I can just go into paraphrasing and I can just go into um, asking good questions because the paraphrasing is nothing more than just active, attentive listening at the end of the day. And showing them that I'm really trying to understand what the issue is that they're presenting. And I think that builds confidence in the relationship for the coachee that they can see that, oh, yeah, I'm actually really being listened to and they're really being thoughtful and considering what I'm asking uh, and what I'm talking about. And I think if you can build that sense of relational confidence that this is a relationship I can put trust in because this person cares enough to really listen, um, then I think the rest of it just follows for me anyway. And maybe that's um, just something about me as a person. I don't know if that's just, or if that's something that's wider, but um, yeah, I guess I don't really explain it. I just kind of do. <laughs> I, I have done 
exactly as Kim describes as well. And I also have a menu that I've been using recently. So it has some possible things. What I found was that some teachers just don't even know where to begin. Like you don't know what you don't know. So they're like, coach, I don't know. What does a coach do? So I have a menu of like sort of a, some ideas, but one of the items on the menu is teacher choice. So it's like coaches can support and respond to your professional learning. Just ask, you know, sort of kind of thing. It's like, um, but I think a lot of teachers, just as you said, Alex, they're not sure like, oh, what's a coach? What do you do? And then you can't give them like some specific, they might not be interested. They might not reach out. Um, and you're right, Kim, you know, like they, the relationship is important, right? So if they feel confident with you and they feel comfortable with you, then they'll come to you. But also what about those ones that, you know, you haven't yet built that relationship with, if they see that you can help them with, you know, I don't know, feedback protocol or something like that, they'll be like, oh, okay, I don't know what that is. Let me, let me give it a try, you know, something like that. So yeah, I'm finding some success with my menu that I've been sharing with teachers and sharing and sharing and sharing. Cause I also find that, um, one time share is not, it's not enough. Right. So uh, sharing it a couple of times, um, over and over is I'm finding better success with that. I'm wondering, do you offer a weekly special or is there like a, like a, <laughs> or anything else that you kind of put on there to spice up interest? Yeah. Does it actually look like a menu? That's what I was curious to ask about. Like, Tell us about the analogy. It's a it's a document. It's a one pager, um, and it just says at the top uh, a couple of like sort of adjectives: coach, collaborator, consultant, thought partner. And then it says, "What is an extra instructional coach?" And then it has like a little one liner. And then and coaches are not because um, uh, I I created this with um, a coaching cohort that we used to have, and it's, we didn't want anybody to be mis misinterpreting what we are. We certainly aren't evaluators or uh, administrators or experts on everything or compliance officers, anything like that. So we wanted that to be um, clear and upfront. Um, and then, you know, there's another sort of question that says, what are some ways? And then there's nine boxes underneath and it has like, uh, you know, a, a, a label and then sort of a small description in that last uh, box is teacher choice. So, I mean, it doesn't look like a menu, like, um, you know, when you go to the restaurant, but it's more like a, a, a grid that has, uh, words and icons, um, to help teachers choose. And what I've been doing this year, um, on the advice of multiple conversations, um, one being with Alex is that, uh, Alex has created this um oh uh digital signage at our school where we're showing lots of images of what's happening in the classrooms and so alex ever so generously and kindly invited me to go with him as we walk the campus every now and again and take pictures and when we go into a classroom i send a follow-up to say thanks for letting us go in and then maybe some, you know, just a comment or an observation that I made while we were in the classroom. And then I send the menu and say, hey, if you want to do any of these things with me, let me know. 
Have you gotten many, many leads off of that technique about the drop-ins, the thank yous, and then people following up on the invite? I've been following Yo as a lead on that as well. So I had initially talked to, to Yo about, okay, well, maybe we can get our foot in the door by taking some photos. We have a purpose to be observing and, and stepping into classrooms and asking questions about the learning that's taking place and then celebrating it by putting on the TVs. And um, Yo had mentioned, hey, that's a great opportunity to then do a follow-up and ask about what they were learning, maybe send some of the pictures if there was something, you know, interesting happening or a nice photo that we had captured. And then also following up with that menu. So um, I learned a lot from Yo in that regard of like, well, it's, you got the foot in the door and now, now, you know, continue that conversation. So that's been super helpful as a coach. I think um, another technique that I've watched Alex do as he is um, new to our school and still, um, you know, meeting people and stuff, he's also takes lunch as an opportunity to sit down next to people he doesn't really know very well. And then because he knows what's going on in the school, he might ask a very pointed question. Um, and then that opens up another line of like, it's not like he's using their lunchtime to talk shop. It's just sort of like a drop, a little, you know, seed that gets planted and then he can follow up later or they might come to him as well. So Alex has been doing that as well. you give any examples, Alex, of uh, conversations you've had that might not be calling anybody out in particular, but like <laughs> just an example? I think the one that you know, I was thinking of is um, one of our, our teachers who's a parent has a student uh, in university. He just finished his master's degree. And uh, the dad just said to me, Hey, my son is looking for some experience and, and he's in the tech industry and tech world. So are you, um, would you ever be interested in having an intern? And I said, oh my gosh, back at Chadwick. Yeah, we have this great alum um, uh, internship program. Yeah, it worked great. Sure, I'd be happy to meet your son. And I, I think it's a great opportunity to also show the dad like, yeah, I care about your family. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of this community and your your son is part of the community. So the relationship, I think, is huge. And I, I can use the son to help me with some of the projects going on at the school. So I'm super happy to have an intern. And I'm also happy to show him that I care about his family. So all of those sorts of signals that you can send, I think, like, we're connected. Our relationship is going to be ongoing. You know, we're, we're, I'm going to be there to support you over time. And, um, yeah, you matter, that, that kind of thing. Whenever I can send that signal to someone, e even if it's at lunch, just having a conversation with someone and trying not to be too pushy, I think that's my challenge. And sometimes I can be too much about work or too, too on, so to speak. But using those moments to say, like, no, I care. And, yeah, sure, let's get involved. Oh, I'm excited. Being able to communicate that to someone, I think, has been um, a helpful technique. Being in the classroom all the time, is definitely gives you that insight to be able to see things that might ordinarily be siloed and yeah. and help people to make those cross Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Any of those ways you can just kind of connect with people and just be open, putting out feelers, I guess. The, the, I have one question for you, Yolanda, just before we, I don't know, we're probably almost at the end of our scheduled meeting time, so... Um, 
how has um since you've been in in coaching for longer than Alex and I, I'm wondering how things have changed either in how coaching is seen in the school or how schools are adopting coaching or or how the role of the coach has shifted or anything like that. But just how how have things um, changed over the last few years as you've um, been involved as as a coach in schools? Yeah, um, I would say that. Um, when I was looking for my first international job in 2013, I don't think there were any instructional coach positions that I remember. I was looking as a technology integrator and I saw plenty of those. In 2019, by that point, I had shifted from a tech coach to an instructional coach, and I was looking for jobs, and there were loads of instructional coach positions, and a lot of schools were morphing their tech coaches into instructional coaches and not really having those um, separation as much. Um and then fast forward post COVID, looking for a job this year, there are a lot of schools that because of um, financial reasons have had to cut positions and cut jobs. And a lot of the schools decided to let go their instructional coaches and now that they're coming back out of those financial crunches and woes are looking for ways to bring that back um, because they have seen the value of the coaches. And I noticed that there are, again, lots of technology-specific coaches and instructional coaches. So I, I sort of saw them, they're this could be incorrect, but from my experience watching for jobs anyway, it was like there were tech coaches and there wasn't much instructional coach. And then it shifted to more instructional coach and less tech coach. And now it feels like when schools are trying to bring that back, they really are having sort of both um, and trying to figure out how to how to use their budgets well to have both of those things, both of those jobs cared for so that their teachers are getting the support that they need and want with those um, thoughts in mind of like a digital brain on it and an instructional brain, which is where in my head, people like Alex and I, I'm assuming you, Kim, from having listened to Alex, those people who have both of those brains, the expertise and experience are really, I think, going to be the people who are able to move forward um, well, because I think in my own head, we are all instructional coaches. And if you can be an instructional coach and have great strategy and pedagogy that you can support with, and also you have those the experience with tech and the know-how 
I think that's a, a, a beautiful marriage. Hmm. I think what you had to say about um, the shift in COVID, what really bore out at our school, where at first a lot of people didn't really know what to do with a technology coach, and then suddenly everybody needed a technology coach. Yeah. And it it kind of, um, it really changed the game, I think, for a lot of schools, and certainly here, um, here in Korea for us. So it's it's interesting that it's making the move to and schools are seeing enough value to not just have one person that's the title shifts around, but to actually have two distinct roles that that, you know, while they are both instructional coaches, as you've said, they both kind of specialize in in different particular areas to to help build capacity for for the faculty. That's that's interesting and, and hopeful for me. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. It's just what I'm observing. It's been amazing to also have Yolanda there as we work in the same room as one another and to be able to share ideas or or suggestions with one another has been huge because it's like, do we need two tech coaches, two people who specialize in tech and two kind of tech consultants? Not really. Having the instructional coach and the, the tech coach who still have a lot of overlap in their jobs and in the same kind of overarching goal of enhancing teacher efficacy has been so huge so just a little collaborations or even the chance of chances like this for us to have conversations around coaching has been great and i think yolanda also is really good with technology so there are chances that she can also do tech training or in the future i think it'd be great for us to even be able to go into um, a planning meeting with a department together so why not we can have two different coaches from two different lenses and both contribute to the conversation. So I do like that idea that you were talking about, yo, where we have kind of like schools that have both. I, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. <laughs> Feels like I've been fit at least. Yeah, it's been super. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, having uh, Alex has, I think, um, you know, some expertise that I don't have. And, um, it's it's not that one can't learn those things. It's just that I feel myself being drawn to different kinds of um, strategies and supports. And Alex is, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but drawn to the more digital supports. And so, although I, yeah, I have some knowledge, but I'm, I think that's where, you know, we do have, it's like a Venn diagram, right? There's that centerpiece where we're both um, and then there's other things that I'm like, oh, I'm more interested in this than he's more interested in, in something different, which is beautiful because then you have that wide coverage. Yeah. I think that is kind of a great place for us to maybe wrap for today. Um, and, and well said, Yolanda. Thank you. Uh, Yolanda, will you come back and and work with us again and interview some other people and because it's, it's been great to chat with you today and I, I loved having you on the podcast and I'm really hoping that this isn't the last time. <laughs> sure. I would love to. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you both. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Likewise. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, we will uh, see you guys next time here on The Collab. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for The Collaborative Coach. Continue the conversation with us on Twitter. 
you can find us on Twitter at collab underscore coach. And find more episodes and show notes online at www.collaborative.coach. 